Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost & Sullivan's latest webinar. Today's event is titled, 2018 Automotive Industry Outlook and Strategic Insight. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost & Sullivan's Growth, Innovation, and Leadership Briefings. Before we begin our event, I'd like to go over a few quick notes. The presentation will be available immediately on demand, and you can view it at the conclusion of the webinar. We encourage you to ask questions throughout the presentation, and you can do that by clicking on the, click, clicking on the Ask a Question button. You can also safely share this briefing at any time by clicking on the Share button. On today's presentation, we will have some detailed slides, so there's a full screen feature available to you at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Our presenters today are Sarwan Singh, Senior Partner, and also Vivek Vidata, Senior Vice President of Mobility at APAC here at Frost & Sullivan. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Sarwant. Thank you, Anna. A very good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you. Uh, this is Sarwant here from a very cold London. Uh, we have snow outside today, uh, temperatures minus 5. We haven't had this kind of weather in London for a while. Uh, we're blaming it on the Russians. We're calling it the beast from the east. Thanks for joining today. Myself and my colleague Vivek will talk you through some of the highlights of the automotive industry in 2017, and we'll talk a little bit about our predictions for 2018. So firstly, let me start by giving a little insight on some of the macroeconomics. Uh, but before I do that, let me just um, walk you through the presentation today. Uh, we will go through the highlights of 2017, give a quick overview of some of our predictions for 2018, uh, talk about some market growth forecasts, and in particular, we'll talk about the five disruptive trends that we see in uh, 2018 uh, this year. Um, in terms of some of the key highlights uh, within the industry in 2017, uh, let me talk through some of the macroeconomics first uh, before I talk to you through some of the key points on this slide. Uh, in terms of macroeconomics, we saw global GDP uh, recovering. Uh, we had about 3.6% global GDP in 2014. Uh, it declined to 3.2% in 2016. But uh, thanks to an upswing in global trade, investment, and industrial production, we saw the GDP growth, growth swing back to 3.6% in 2017. We also, see oil, we also saw oil pricing, uh, prices improve thanks to the oil production cuts. Uh, crude oil prices, which averaged around $54 per barrel uh, in 2017, um, in comparison to about $43.5 per barrel in 2016. Uh, we also saw some landmark tax reforms. I mean, India, India introduced GST. We had UAE and Saudi Arabia introduce VAT, and of course, uh, we had uh, President Trump uh, reduce uh, corporate tax from 35% to 21%. And we expect some of these tax reforms will help the automotive industry in 2018. In terms of some of the highlights of the industry, uh, we saw a growth in total production of vehicles and sales. We saw sales of about 95.7 million with China and U.S. leading, especially China with 27.3 million units. Um, we saw Volkswagen maintain its number one position. Uh, we'll talk about this in a little detail later on in my slide. Um, but when you look at the top five positions uh, and you look at the announcements, for example, CEO of Renault Nissan Mitsubishi talked about them being the number one. But when you look at, when you dip, dig deeper into what they include, which includes sometimes numbers like medium to heavy commercial vehicles, you know, that number can change who is number one. In our analysis here, we've looked at only passenger cars and light commercial vehicles. Um, for the first time, we had electric vehicles reach one million unit sales. Uh, this is in less than 10 years. It took hybrids 15 years to reach one million sales. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, in upcoming presentations. Two of the biggest trends we talk about um, in the industry is uh, car sharing, ride sharing, and the shift from uh, buying vehicles to actually uh, sharing vehicles, and we continue to see that. We saw a number of new car sharing programs being launched globally, and we saw a number of new entrants into the market. And we also saw level three autonomy come into the vehicles. Till, till about 2016, we only had the autopilot assist from Tesla, which is what we describe as a level two uh, vehicle autonomy, but we started, we saw Audi release level three. Before I move on, let me ask my colleague Vivek. Vivek, if you could kindly quickly introduce yourself and tell me what were some of the highlights in your part of the world? 
Right. Uh, thanks, everyone. So I'm Vivek. I'm uh, calling in from warm and uh, hot and steamy Singapore, and uh, things are quite warm here. Uh, so uh, what we see uh, is a resurgence of electric vehicles in Asia-Pacific. Uh, it's led by China, of course. China has uh, uh, challenges with its air quality, and uh, government is pushing uh, electric vehicles uh, very heavily. But what's uh, new this year is we also started seeing electric vehicles uh, gathering momentum in countries like India as well as Thailand. And in both these countries, uh, Governments are uh, really serious about uh, electric vehicles, and uh, they have announced plans up to 2030, uh, which at this moment look quite ambitious, but that give you give us the direction on uh, how things are likely to proceed on electric vehicles. Uh, you also mentioned about uh, the taxation, and uh, we, for the first time in this region, uh, we saw Thailand introducing carbon-based emission taxes. Uh, they, uh, they have tried to maintain the similar taxation levels, but uh, the shift from an engine CC-based taxation to uh, carbon emission-based taxation itself is a big step uh, in this part of the world. So th those are some of the things that are being mimicked uh, from the global trends uh, into Asia-Pacific. Back to you, Sarvan. Thank you, uh, Vivek. Uh, absolutely amazing the number of electric cars that China sold. Uh, in 2017, and we continue to expect huge growth uh, this year, so we'll talk a little bit about that later, especially if you look at the last four months of electric vehicle sales in China, that sort of sets this run rate per month that you could expect in 2018, and that clearly suggests we might have 1.4, 1.5 million electric car sales in 2018. Um, let's look at some of our predictions for 2018 and beyond. Um, we saw the slowdown in diesel. Um, thanks to many cities, governments, and legislators uh, coming together against diesel. Uh, diesel both in India and in Europe, which are the two strongest markets for diesel, we expect to be continue to decline. Uh, we will see in certain markets like in UK, uh, the decline in diesel will give rise to the emergence of uh, alternative fuel vehicles. Uh, one very interesting topic, I personally did a lot of work on this, was around data monetization. We did some analysis and we believe one can monetize anywhere between $80 to $100 per car. Uh, we found um, about 20 to 100 data points coming out from a car, so uh, a premium OEM from Germany will emit anywhere between 80 to 100 data points from their cars, uh, whereas the volume OEMs are, are uh, emitting anywhere between 15 to 20 data points. What we found is um, you can create about 50 used cases from these 100 data points, and a large number of them can be monetized using three different models, uh, which we found was data brokering, data bartering, or building insights. So we've seen a lot of um, interest from OEMs on uh, our research on this topic. We continue to see um, external brokers like Autonomo coming into this market, and we will be having a webinar on this topic very soon. So very exciting topic, and we will see a lot more interest uh, on this uh, in 2018. Um, we also saw the growth of uh, automated taxis. Uh, we expect a large number of them to happen. Uh, we expect, for example, companies like Renault trying to set up their automated taxi um, platforms much earlier than uh, the, uh, the Japanese um, uh, Olympics uh, that will have in 2020. Um, one of the, my favorites um, for, um, for 2016 and 2017 at the CS show was voice recognition, especially Alexa. So if any of you was at the, the CS this year, you would have seen the voice recognition technologies being a key area of uh, investment by the OEMs. Uh, what was interesting to me was how the voice recognition technology will perhaps replace other technologies which we use for human-machine interface in the vehicle. And also, most interestingly, what I find is how this voice recognition technology will take the car from being an isolated vehicle to being something which is an element of our connected living solution. So if you see what the OEMs are trying to do there, there are three things. One, they're trying to bring in certain functionality in terms of controlling certain car features through voice recognition. But secondly, what we're also seeing is a certain features in your home. For example, you, know, you can leverage your Alexa speaker at home to connect with the vehicle. For example, where the vehicle is, or if it's running low on fuel and other things. But the third most interesting thing is how Alexa is also being 
used to provide certain functionality which will help you in your workplace. For example, your scheduling, your meeting, your calendar, including reading out emails to you in the future. So very exciting technology. I think we'll see more and more of these. Like a friend of mine said the other day to me, you will never ride alone in a car in the future. Somebody like Alexa will always be there with you. The other big trend we saw uh, and we'll continue to see is the evolution of new mobility business models. Uh, everything from car sharing, ride sharing, ride hailing. Um, we have um, counted about 23 different types of new mobility business models that we will see over the coming e years. And my colleague Vivek will later talk about a few things, for example, uh, like mobility as a uh, sharing platforms and downstream uh, growth, of, uh, growth of downstream services within the automotive industry. Um, some of the other trends we see are, are highlighted on this slide here. Sorry, I moved one slide too fast. Um, this is the uh, subscription-based ownership. Um, we have seen some interesting announcements from likes of Volvo, Cadillac, Porsche, where they're saying instead of selling a car as to their customers as a one-time fee, we're going to build in subscription services. And more and more we see these subscription services aligned to people's lifestyle. So it could include, for example, certain elements uh, like leasing a vehicle, but also if you want to rent, if you let's say you're leasing an electric car, and if you want to rent a specific type of a vehicle on the weekends, or you want uh, certain accessories within the vehicle, all of these will be bundled in, in, in into your subscription service in the future. One very interesting um, trend we also saw is usage-based insurance solutions, especially in certain countries like UK, uh, US, Italy. We see huge growth of UBI solutions. Our prediction is that just like OEM sell financing and leasing, in the future they will also sell digital insurance solutions to their customers. EV saw a huge growth, especially EV charging stations. Battery prices for the first time last year uh, were below $200. We expect battery prices to continue to fall, so we expect them to be around $150 per kilowatt hour for the battery pack this year, and we, con we expect to see continued growth of the electric vehicle market, anywhere around 1.4 to 1.5 million units are expected to be sold. One of the most interesting topics I have to say within the car industry is how we are moving to the third dimension of mobility, which is flying personal vehicles. We've seen four different types of personal vehicles, uh, anywhere from a car, uh, anywhere to a plane that can also drive on the road, or to a helicopter that can also drive on the road, all the way to drones, uh, which uh, don't necessarily drive on the road, but can move people and goods, uh, for example, and all the way to future sports kind of vehicles, like you have jet skis, we might have flying scooters in the future. Moving on uh, to my next slide, um, is uh, this is our prediction for 2018 in terms of growth within the industry. Uh, we expect about 3% growth, but there's a very good outside chance that we might actually hit 100 million in car sales in 2018. Now, what would, that, what would it take to hit uh, 20, uh, 100 million car sales? I think we'll need to see a lot more growth in India. Uh, India is expected to be one of the fastest growing markets uh, this year. Uh, it could overtake Germany to become the fourth biggest market. Uh, India's uh, uh, economic growth has been very good, uh, and after the taxation uh, reforms, uh, we expect, and with the, new, with the elections coming up uh, in a couple of years' time, we might see a lot more momentum in terms of economic growth within India. Um, in terms of car sales, um, we saw we expect light vehicle sales to grow about 3.8%. In Western Europe, we expect the market uh, perhaps not to grow so much, but in markets like Russia, Poland, Romania, which had impressive growth in 2017, we expect this to continue to grow in 2018. In US, in particular, we expect sales to be challenged again this year. Um, Canada, interestingly, um, as much as we um, uh, want Canada to get out of the North American free trade agreement, actually did um, have a record 2 million vehicle sales, especially of the expensive light trucks, uh, which held profitability. Um, so we expect um, U.S. vehicle sales to perhaps drop by 1 to 1.5% 1 this year. Um, in uh, South America, we've seen uh, growth of Brazil after many years, and we expect that to continue this year, including markets like Mexico. Uh, for Asia-Pac, let me ask my colleague Vivek. Uh, Vivek, what are the predictions for Asia-Pac? 
so for Asia Pacific, uh, we are expecting a growth of about uh, six to seven percent. That would be led by uh, countries uh, which are on the rebound, like Thailand, like you mentioned, India. Uh, both these countries are expected to lead uh, the rebound in uh, uh, Asia Pacific. Uh, China is expected to remain number one market with a steady growth. Uh, so that will provide the bulk of the volume in Asia Pacific and uh, uh, Japan, of course, uh, uh, although the market is flat, uh, the exports, that is the production from uh, Japan is expected to uh, be steady. So uh, basically four countries uh, which are worth uh, mentioning here, India, Thailand, China and Japan in different ways are likely to uh, boost up Asia Pacific sale to about 6 to 7 percent in light vehicles. Wow, excellent. Good. Um, good to see the Asian markets continuing to grow. Moving on to our next slide, These, um, this slide captures the top five OEMs uh, on the left-hand side and captures the top uh, 10 OEMs on the right-hand side. Um, as you can see here, uh, Volkswagen crossed 10 million in sales. Um, despite uh, you know, all the diesel gate and other challenges that Volkswagen had, it's had good sales uh, in key markets like China. Um, interesting to see how Renault-Nissan Mitsubishi Alliance uh, has grown, 9.8 million. GM, the numbers here um, show a decline, and that's mainly because uh, they sold Opel brand in Europe to PSA. Um, Toyota and Hyundai both have had um, tough years, uh, especially uh, in some of the key markets uh, like U.S. We expect Toyota to rebound uh, this year. Um, their sales declined about 10% in 2017. Uh, but we expect uh, that they will, um, especially thanks to the expanding market share in Southeast Asia, as my colleague Vivek said, it will continue to spur growth. Um, Korea, uh, Hyundai, um, tough, tough uh, year for them, but you know they've, we've seen that they've grown in uh, markets like India and Russia, and we expect that to continue to happen. Um, one of the highlights for me uh, in 2017, especially when it comes to OEMs, was the Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi alliance and Renault uh, and for Mr. Gohan to continue as the CEO of that alliance. So maybe a question for you, uh, Vivek. Um, I mean, is this a real alliance? Are there some serious synergies between the three different businesses here? And uh, what's your overall view on, uh, on this alliance? Right. Uh, so... Uh uh, as I see it, uh, Nissan and Mitsubishi have uh, some things in common which they can leverage each other and some things uh, which are completely complementary. Uh, so interestingly, both Nissan and Mitsubishi have uh, battery electric vehicle and uh, there are opportunities for them to uh, spread out their research and development cost, make sure that the batteries uh, are, are uh, unified and in some ways they, uh, they are able to bring down uh, the total cost of development of electric vehicles by combining uh, the research and development efforts. On the other hand, uh, Mitsubishi also has a portfolio of commercial vehicles which uh, would, uh, would be very handy for Nissan uh, to expand in emerging markets where uh, you know, presence in commercial vehicles uh, plays an equally important role. Uh, so uh, as, as I see it, uh, there are some common grounds and there are some uh, excellent uh, uh, complementary skill sets that both these uh, players bring to the table. And uh, to me, this uh, alliance actually uh, makes a very interesting player at number two. Thank you, Vic. That's very interesting. Uh, moving on to our next slide on the top five trends. Um, the top five trends we see are highlighted on this slide. I think the first one and the most important one we see is the digital transformation of the auto industry. Uh, we have defined digital transformation across five pillars, so the connected supply chain where we see anywhere between 1% to 2% saving for a volume OEM, uh, to industry uh, uh, 4.0 or IIoT, we see the automotive industry moving from mass production to mass customization as a result of uh, implementing IoT in future. And then we see the digital retailing and the customer user experience. As a matter of fact, one of the key KPIs of the future for OEMs, we believe, will be the customer. Um, and we see um, growth, for example, within digital retailing into, um, sorry, within uh, in digital transformation into connected and autonomous vehicles and also mobility as a service. Um, let me pass on to you, Vivek, to maybe talk through this slide and some of the remaining slides. Thank you, Sarvan. Uh, 
So the other important trend that we see is uh, the revenue from uh, downstream services, which is which means that vehicle OEMs will uh, no longer try to make uh, their money just by selling car and just by providing uh, the vehicle services, but there are a wide range of services that they will look at uh, on how to monetize uh, the, the vehicle, how to monetize the car, and how to make more money out of it. So I'll walk you through some of these services and uh, give you some of the projections uh, of the revenues. Uh, the, the next important trend that we find is uh, the focus on uh, three things, artificial intelligence, uh, data monetization and voice recognition. Uh, Sarvan did briefly mention about it. Uh, most of the vehicles uh, need uh, artificial intelligence. It is going to be built in, in every single connected car. Uh, voice recognition uh, is going to make sure the, it surpasses all the HMI uh, developments that's happening and it can also uh, help us to connect uh, the car to, to our offices, to our homes. And uh, the data monetization, which, which is a completely new stream of revenues. Uh, so far, uh, most of the uh, vehicle OEMs have never looked at data as a currency. They have never looked at data as, as something that they can earn money from. Uh, so uh, from 2018 and beyond, we see that there would be some, some of the sure uh, developments in data monetization uh, will start happening. Uh, we also see blockchain uh, taking place in automotive industry, and uh, this will happen not just in terms of cryptocurrencies, but most of the service record, most of the uh, you know uh, the entire life cycle of the vehicle would be maintained by blockchain because it passes through uh, different agencies, different uh, service stations, and uh, a blockchain way of. Uh, combining all the records and making sure that they are available for the customer uh, will actually change, will bring about a lot of changes in automotive industry. And finally, uh, it's uh, cyber security. We, we believe that that's another important trend. As autonomous uh, vehicles set in and as uh, vehicles become smarter and smarter, uh, the, the danger of uh, you know, taking the person out of the wheel and putting a, a machine behind the wheel, a computer behind the wheel, uh, actually also gives rise to uh, the risk of being uh, the car being hacked. And if there are a number of cars that are being hacked, then that uh, poses a legitimate uh, security threat. So there are, uh, what we see is there are uh, different uh, players that are working together to make the cars uh, very, very secure. And I will walk you through some of the trends in each one of these. So let me move on and start talking about uh, digitalization and digitization of um, automotive value chain. Uh, so what, what we see is uh, digitization is going to be the new infrastructure on which the car is going to run. Uh, the car of yesterday, the car of last decade was just a mechanical and hydraulic device. Uh, and with digital platforms setting in, uh, car is going to become uh, altogether a new uh, experience, uh, a new uh, vehicle. It will look like a car, but think like a smartphone. And that's, that's what every uh, single OEM is actually working towards. Uh, uh, most of the OEMs, such as Volkswagen, uh, and BMW, of course, others, we have cited just these two as example, but they are working on in-house IoT platform uh, that would actually uh, help them to run several uh, new services on this IoT platform. It will take care of uh, the servicing of the vehicle. It will take care of uh, communication of the vehicle between a vehicle as to the main concierge. It will take care of the payments that happen through uh, the vehicles and so many different things will run on this IoT platform. Uh, it's also going to put, as Sarvan mentioned, the customer in the center and the entire user experience of uh, using the car is going to be uh, completely digital. It will uh, start right from uh, how the car uh, is selected up to the how the car is purchased, how the car is serviced, and uh, in fact, uh, a lot of over there updates and a lot of uh, features that are currently available in smartphone would also be available uh, in cars as we go forward. Uh, 
there would be an increased focus on data monetization anywhere between 80 to 100 dollars can be realized uh, in a connected car by the OEMs by making the data available at, in a timely manner, in an anonymous manner, and by protecting customers' uh, privacy, uh, this data can be really be made useful uh, to make better driving decisions, to make sure uh, the cars are safe, to make sure the cars are able to communicate effectively uh, with the infrastructure and uh, help the driver as well. Uh, what we see is uh, in automotive industry, a chief digital officer would emerge as a new function. It's, it's already started happening, but not all OEMs have it. Uh, some of the progressive OEMs do have a digital officer as one of the uh, important key uh, function, which uh, you know in last decade didn't exist, because the entire digital transformation needs to be anchored uh, and uh, developed around uh, the car, around the customers, and for that uh, the the uh, OEMs need to uh, have a completely new skill set, uh, which will be in in form of a, a digital officer who would bring it to the table. And finally, uh, it would have a emergence of digitization uh, KPIs, which means uh, OEMs would would implement KPIs that would. Uh, that would make digitization real, that would uh, actually um, help us to measure the performance of the vehicles, performance of the workforce, and the user experience uh, in its entirety. Moving on, uh, we'll talk about uh, downstream services. So, uh, say in a few years back, in 2015, uh, bulk of the revenues uh, for car makers came from uh, selling the car and providing services uh, such as vehicle servicing, financial servicing, etc. Uh, but by 2025, uh, we see that there are two new types of services uh, which would emerge and there would be a lot of monetization opportunities uh, that, would, uh, that would be captured by most of the OEMs. And these monetization opportunities are driving services and mobility services. So far, uh, most of the infotainment, navigation uh, equipments that are fitted inside the car are, are fitted with, with the sole purpose of make, uh, providing comfort, convenience, and a little premium is charged uh, towards the feature of the vehicle. But going forward, uh, infotainment, navigation, or a human-machine interface would all be considered as new revenue opportunities, and that can also be available as a subscription service. You'll have driving analytics, roadside assistance, concierge services, parking services. Uh, all of these services would be available and considered as revenue opportunities by progressive OEMs. Uh, uh, Players like BMW, Daimler have already branched out into uh, providing different services such as sharing services, parking services, uh, leasing services, uh, which are likely to make uh, higher margins, higher profitability uh, in years to come. Uh, going forward in future, um, there, there are a lot of opportunities that are available by mobility services, which are essentially car sharing, ride sharing, bike sharing, and as well as connecting all the modes of mobility uh, into one by providing uh, a mobility as a service platform. All of these are, are going, being seen uh, very seriously by uh, most of the OEMs are as new business opportunities. And by 2025, uh, we foresee that about 46% of the revenues that accrue uh, to, uh, the, uh, to, the, um, uh, to the OEMs uh, would be because of uh, these new uh, services. Moving on. As Sarvan mentioned, there would be uh, three important uh, uh, developments that we are watching for, and these are artificial intelligence, data monetization, and voice recognition. Uh, what's most interesting is most of the vehicle manufacturers don't have nascent ability or uh, inherent ability to address this, and therefore we see entrance of a lot of new players uh, who specialize in, this, uh, in these areas. 
and who are partnering very closely with the OEMs uh, to to make this uh, these uh, three um, areas possible: artificial intelligence, data monetization, and natural language processing. Uh, let me cite a few examples. So, Volkswagen is partnering with Nvidia uh, to develop artificial intelligence capabilities which will uh, apply into all its future mobility services. It will help you to make the car safer. It will help us to make the cars move faster. It will make the user experience significantly better. Uh, Toyota, uh, Ford, all, every single OEM is working on building in artificial intelligence in all its aspects, be it driving, be it maintenance, uh, be it a user experience, all of these uh, uh, areas, all of these areas would have an element of artificial intelligence built into it. Uh, data monetization is a completely different opportunity. This is something which most of the OEMs are learning ropes. Uh, we still see that there are a wide range of uh, uh, data monetization business models that are available. We are yet to see any one uh, model that will emerge as a winner. Uh, just to cite some examples, GM is partnering with Watson, uh, which, will, which will have uh, advanced learning abilities and which will help them to monetize the data which is already uh, developed on OnStar and IBM Watson will actually help them to develop this data and make it into a usable data that can be sold, that can be used uh, internally to develop its R&D, to, uh, to make sure that the service revenues are improved, to make sure that they move from providing diagnosis to prognosis. And all of this would be possible uh, because of artificial intelligence and that will actually help them to monetize the data that they have already collected through cars. Uh, natural language processing servant did cover a fair bit. Uh, again, there are partnerships uh, being formed by different uh, OEMs uh, with the technology players and all of this is likely to uh, make the car into a very user-friendly machine. Currently, the car uh, controls the how uh, we, have, we as a driver have to interact with car is very archaic. In future, you would actually be able to talk to the car, and the car uh, would be able to manage its uh, body controls, would be able to manage its uh, temperature, environment, uh, and all of these things. So exciting time, uh, times ahead because of this high uh, technology developments that are happening in car. Uh, so moving on. Uh, so the next trend I'm going to talk about is advent of blockchain technology in automotive industry. As I mentioned, uh, car undergoes a series of uh, changes or changes hands. Uh, from uh, from the manufacturer to the dealer to the service provider to the insurance service provider. So blockchain as a technology which, which essentially ensures that all the records about uh, the transactions are kept uh, very clearly, transparently, and openly can actually provide a significant boost uh, to how the cars uh, are sold, how the cars are maintained, and how the used cars uh, are also traded in the market. Uh, so let's uh, go step by step for car maintenance. Uh, there would be some, currently uh, if you change the mechanic, your car uh, service uh, repair data is lost. Uh, advent of blockchain will make sure that there are centralized car repair data uh, and digitized car maintenance logs are maintained and all of these will maintain, uh, make sure that maintaining the car uh, would actually be very easy and uh, the history of the car can be retrieved very easily and that would actually help uh, uh, the transparent to bring in transparency in used uh, car markets. Uh, this is my second point, and this actually currently the used car market suffers from a completely uh, opaque information, completely opaque history, and you are essentially uh, checking some uh, cursory parameters such as uh, you know exterior look or uh, the number of mileage uh, mileage that the vehicle has traveled or conditions of tires. Some some very very uh, cosmetic uh, uh, data points are observed before the transaction actually happens. 
uh, blockchain will actually make sure uh, that uh, the databases are well maintained, the history is well maintained, uh, which will integrate the service records, insurance records, and that will actually uh, bring about uh, significant transparency in the used car market. Uh, the mobility solutions uh, will employ cryptocurrency. It will, uh, it will employ maps on demand. So the maps would also be built as the cars uh, go from one place to another. Uh, there would be uh, some element of uh, network and data security that, that is definitely required and that, that I'm going to cover in my next point, which is the cybersecurity part of it. And finally, the manufacturing, uh, which also is, is a significant uh, undergoing a lot of changes because of digitization will also welcome uh, blockchain as a technology uh, in uh, in years to come so as we see this particular technology is going to touch upon uh, multiple aspects of automotive industry right from manufacturing up to the car maintenance up to uh, the resale of vehicles all, all of these is is likely to uh, significantly change because of uh, blockchain as a technology. Uh, then I'll like to present uh, the trend of uh, cybersecurity, which uh, to my mind is, is something that is super important. As the cars become autonomous, it's extremely essential that the cars are protected well and uh, you know the level of security that should be available in in the car is unprecedented because of the because of the ability of the car if if it is uh, uh, not protected properly the the destruction it can cause is huge so there are several players who who foresee uh, that there are opportunities that can happen uh, in cybersecurity uh, so you would see some unlikely names like continental harman uh, which which are trying to uh, play a very important role here. Uh, they have taken the uh, route of acquisition to have uh, cybersecurity companies. So most of the component companies, uh, tier one companies, are actually looking at uh, opportunities beyond their uh, current business, beyond their uh, component supply and uh, module and system supply. Uh, they are looking at these new emerging markets and cybersecurity uh, is one of them. So Continental has acquired uh, Argus Cybersecurity, uh, which is which is going to become an integral part of their software development, and that is likely to uh, provide comprehensive security solutions, cybersecurity solutions, uh, to the vehicle manufacturers who are currently focusing on autonomous vehicles. Uh, Harman, uh, recently taken over by Korean players, is also looking at um, their own. Um, uh, security which which is uh, named as smart uh, which uh, stands for smart mobility analysis and research test is being tested in israel and uh, this again uh, they are they are trying to become a certification body which can actually uh, testify any autonomous vehicle but some of the interesting developments uh, which is which is in my slide where there is a consortium of oems and tier 1 players uh, who are looking at uh, sharing uh, information about cybersecurity, uh, communicating the vulnerabilities to each other, uh, making sure that they have hackathons which, which identify the weak spots in each other's uh, autonomous technologies, and together um, uh, develop the uh, more secure, more sound car by sharing knowledge. I think that's that's a very interesting development where seeming competitors are joining hands and uh, developing a new uh, technology uh, called cybersecurity. So uh, again, this to my mind is also uh, one of the most important developments and most of the OEMs, most of the tier one companies along with the, some consortiums are very, very active uh, in this, this area. Uh, so, uh, uh, let me uh, try to wind up the presentation by giving uh, some of the key takeaways, summarizing my presentation for those of you who have joined late. Uh, so uh, we, we predict that the global uh, light vehicle sales will continue to grow uh, by about 3%, inching closer to about 100 million units, which will be a landmark in itself uh, as far as light vehicles are concerned. Uh, 
Renault, Nissan, and Mitsubishi Alliance has, uh, you know, put itself at, at number two. Uh, the alliance has some inherent strengths, some inherent synergies, and some complementary uh, skill sets that are likely to make this into a very, very interesting player. Uh, we are likely to see from 2018 onwards uh, increasing focus on downstream revenues. Uh, OEMs will try to uh, capitalize and monetize mobility services, financial services, vehicle services, which they anyway do, uh, as well as uh, the data services that that they are likely to come through. So by 2025, uh, it's likely to uh, increase to about 50%. Uh, digitization, which happens all across uh, automotive domain, uh, right from the manufacturing uh, to the supply chain to the retailing uh, to the actual user experience. And to manage all of these, most of the vehicle OEMs are likely to have a new, stronger position of chief digitization officer uh, who would, who's likely to drive uh, their efforts uh, by developing in-house IoT platform and data monetization strategies. And finally, uh, some of the uh, important uh, uh, developments that need to happen are cybersecurity, uh, which I just covered, which are uh, being pushed by OEMs, tier one companies, uh, as well as the consortiums. So, uh, uh, how how we can uh, support you? How you can benefit by uh, the research and consulting that we do? Uh, there are three ways. You can actually do the subscription, which which is an annual subscription, which can provide you unlimited access to the studies that we publish, or you can have a specific issue, specific challenge. You can tap on to our advisory support services. Uh, we can also support you uh, in terms of our brand and demand solutions, which are uh, which can be tapped by uh, marketing campaigns, uh, some of the lead generation campaigns. Uh, we can also do some of the video briefings. Uh, which which would essentially uh, help you to take your message uh, to your clients. Uh, so uh, with this, uh, I will hand it back to Anna uh, to walk us through the uh, some of the last few instructions, and then we can have some question and answer sessions. So back to you, Anna. Thank you, Vivek. Yes, audience members, your feedback is always important to us. So we ask that you uh, rate this um, presentation, provide any feedback, comments, or suggestions. And then also you can follow us on any of our social media sites, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, to keep up to date on upcoming research, press releases, webinars. And so at this time, I want to, I know we have a few minutes left, I want to go ahead and start our question and answer session. Um, so I see we have some few questions come in, so we'll get started on those right now. Um, Vivek, so can you please explain what are the key trends in APAC countries? And are they in line with the global trends? Yeah, sure. So APAC countries are, uh, uh, you know, look, uh, there are some of the important trends are a renewed drive towards electrification. And these, uh, uh, this is due to uh, the deteriorating air quality and also um, uh, most of these countries are looking at uh, fuel independence. So they want to ensure that uh, the, the fuel uh, that they use uh, is, is uh, produced locally, and that is what uh, is possible because of electrification. Uh, that is completely in line with the global trends. Another thing that I had just mentioned initially is also about taxation. So for the first time, we see that in the Asia-Pacific region, uh, the taxation is actually happening on the emission or the carbon emissions of the vehicle. And again, that is in line uh, with uh, what uh, the, the trends that we see uh, globally. Uh, so uh, both these trends are likely to keep it up, uh, keep up Asia-Pacific market in line uh, with, uh, with the global trends. Thank you, Vivek. And which markets are likely to lead autonomous vehicles development? Uh, so for autonomous vehicles uh, development, we see that most of the development uh, is concentrated in Europe and Japan. Uh, 
there are uh, a number of uh, Japanese companies who are in robotics who are also looking at uh, implementing their technologies and utilizing their technologies uh, in uh, in uh, driving autonomous vehicles. So uh, these uh, 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 these two. Uh, countries, these two regions, in, in our opinion, are likely to lead uh, the, uh, the drive towards autonomous vehicles. Thank you. And now, um, another question here. It seems that the OEMs plan to own the data. Doesn't this information belong to the consumer so they can decide how it's used? Right. So uh, currently, this is uh, uh, this is still being uh, uh, debated. This is still evolving, and uh, the regulations about how the data can be used uh, are still uh, something that is uh, uh, that uh, that is governed by the local uh, governments. Uh, just to give you an example, currently our cell phones also uh, emit a lot of data. Uh, when we are logged into our uh, cell phone networks, that actually becomes a data, and that data is actually being used uh, to predict the traffic, to, to show uh, how the traffic is looking like on, uh, to when we go from place A to place B. So uh, uh, effectively what tends to happen is if the data is synthesized and uh, anonymized and uh, you know it is made available in a way that it does not intrude the privacy then this data can actually be uh, be utilized by OEMs to make driving decisions of course the privacy laws which are governed by the local governments need to be protected but uh, as long as you are not stepping into the uh, the privacy of the customers uh, at least uh, most of the uh, countries allow you to use this data if it is used in an anonymized manner. Thank you, Vivek. Another question here. What will be the main benefit of blockchain in the automotive industry? Is it about traceability? Uh, I think uh, most uh, it is about traceability, but more important than that is transparency. Uh, currently, uh, the the vehicle uh, information about the servicing, vehicle information about uh, the the transactions on the vehicle, uh, what kind of components are replaced, what kind of uh, insurance history a vehicle has, is is not. Uh, available uh, to uh, to a layman customer in a very simple uh, centralized record manner but blockchain technology can actually make this available uh, in in a clear uh, transparent manner so traceability and transparency are the two key benefits that that would be uh, offered because of the blockchain Thank you, Vivek. Now, um, regarding the OEM trying to avoid sharing uh, this information and pack the aftermarket repair dealers? Uh, actually, OEMs uh, uh, are not exactly avoiding uh, to share uh, the information, uh, but uh, what, what tends to happen is uh, there is a lack of centralized recording system which uh, records the entire vehicle history together. You know, the, it actually needs to be like a uh, vehicle health record, which could be, which should be made available uh, to the customer at any point in time. But due to uh, the decentralized nature of the vehicle servicing, uh, for most of the cars, you know, except for some of the new modern cars, uh, which which are connected and which are monitored centrally, uh, like say Nissan Leaf. Uh, this, this data can be made available. But most of the legacy cars and most of the IC engine driven cars, uh, this information is not available centrally. And as a result, uh, you know, uh, uh, not just OEMs, but even the aftermarket dealers uh, do not benefit. Thank you, Vivek. Uh, you know, it seems OEMs are starting to develop their own platform. What's your perspective on the potential of a neutral platform or a third-party platform? Uh, 
maybe that's an ideal solution, but uh, knowing the way automotive industry has has been has developed uh, historically, uh, you know, the most of the OEMs tend to develop very specific solutions. Uh, you know, be it uh, their own platforms on which they build a vehicle, or be it their charging systems. Uh, Vehicle manufacturers have always opted for uh, a, a platform, a solution that is uh, that is specific to their make, specific to their brand, and they tend to use this as a differentiator. They tend to use this as a unique position into the market. So, uh, on the whole, uh, it might be a, a better solution from the industry perspective. However, most of the vehicle manufacturers are likely to uh, use vehicle platform uh, or the IoT solutions as a key differentiator. Uh, so uh, at least in the short term, uh, I do not foresee emergence of a, uh, you know, a common platform and a standardization uh, in IoT will continue to be a challenge. Thank you, Vivek. And we have time for one more question here. The data monetization opportunity of about $80 you mentioned, is that going to be per vehicle, per year opportunity? Uh, yes, that's right. So uh, data monetization opportunity would, uh, what we mentioned about $80 to $100 would be per, per vehicle per year. And uh, this data can be, you know, uh, from something as simple as uh, your speedometer reading, seat belt position, right up to uh, you know the crash reconstruction that that can happen in case uh, the insurance companies uh, need to you know access the data for the car. So there are wide range of uh, data monetization uh, opportunities and use cases that are available, and uh, the number that we mentioned is per vehicle per year. Thank you, Vivek. This concludes today's presentation. We hope you found today's webinar informative. Again, any questions that we did not get to address today, the team will take that offline and get back with you. If there's any other questions or additional feedback, please feel free to contact us. Once again, thank you very much.